Hey, everybody. Welcome to tonight's Late Night Happy Hour. Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky. Join tonight. This is going to be a fun show. Uh, Law Murray, the newest beat writer for the Clippers at The Athletic. Uh, he's been around the Clippers for a long time, though, and uh, is doing some great work already. Law, thanks so much for coming on, man. It's great to meet you. Uh, welcome. Uh, I mean, not really welcome. You've been around. But, like, you know. Welcome to this room. Welcome You've not to been this, in this room. room before. I, I appreciate the welcome, man. And I mean, two weeks is still like it's a significant amount of time, but I'm still new. So I appreciate it. Thanks for the, having com- me. the community is what was sort of my point. It's not like you're brand new, um, yeah. but it, it's uh, this is a, a, a strange time to be jumping into coverage of anything. Um, but certainly, uh, you know, a, a team as high profile as the Clippers with this much going on, like you got it today, not just injuries, but like COVID and, and all of it. Like it, it all hit today. Like, you know, the, the 2020 slash 2021 of all of it. Yeah. I mean, look, it was going to, it's going to hit at some point. I actually mentioned um, in a piece to, well, in the, in the news piece, the team hadn't left the state of California since January 3rd, that Sunday when they were in Phoenix. And you might re- recall, like, in between the Utah game that was on the road uh, that they lost and the travel to Arizona uh, to, to play the Suns, like the news broke that they had to bust some members of the staff uh, who were on the road back to Los Angeles because yes. of testing yes. for COVID. And I was like, oh, dang, I'm not on the beat yet. So, I mean, I'm not, <laughs> you know, I'm following along. But the fact is, okay. There were no players involved there. And then I was thinking back to the preseason. I was like, man, they haven't had because I look at injury reports every day. And there was there, there wasn't any health and safety protocols or any fears like that at any point of the regular season. Obviously, in the preseason, you had Reggie Jackson, you had uh, Chauncey Billups, the assistant who they left the game. And everyone was like, wait, where, where are these guys going? Oh, it's health and safety protocols. They were, quote unquote, excused. Right. And that was it. Nothing. Nothing else. Uh, there was going to come a point where the it was going to bite them. Um, that's really every team. Like you see what the schedule is looking like. The majority of the league has had to readjust things either because of absences or because games are getting postponed because of the uh, health and safety. Right. Protocols. So this so. was this was Kawhi and and Paul George right. specifically, and then Pat Beverly is hurt. Yeah. He left Sunday's game after halftime. Uh, he played the he played the first half, played all right, but didn't come out of the locker room. They said right knee soreness, and that was another one where I'm like, the thing with last year's Clippers is who's available and when and for how long. And you know, Pat was one of those guys who you know he had to leave the bubble early. He had a he had an injury. Um, he came back. He, had another injury in the playoffs. He was relatively limited. His first year with the Clippers, he had a great first month. Then he had the uh, major right knee surgery. And so I was thinking, oh, no, like right knee soreness doesn't sound great. Uh, And I'm not going to speculate, but, you know, he needs to take the time and and get well, and hopefully everything's okay with him. I recognize right now there's still a lot that, is going to come out with regards to Paul George and Kawhi Leonard and the COVID protocols. But have you gotten any indication in terms of the team's concern about whether or not 
this is direct exposure, uh, just contact tracing, like the, their, their concern for either one of them or both of them having actually contracted COVID versus just, you know, abundance of caution. I think it, right now it's, it's caution. It's too early to tell how long either one of them will be out. They're not on the trip right now. And they're also suggesting that it's just contained to the two of them, which again, like, if you're going to have any two guys team leadership, I, look at that. The two team leaders together. <laughs> a lot, people have been discussing how Kawhi and PG, they've really led by example, especially Kawhi. <laughs> and, you know, this is a different kind of uh, example look, I, here. I, I don't want to tell those guys how to do their jobs, but that's a terrible way to go about doing it. I'm I mean, like, they're no, it's, no, it's not. I, you don't let your, you know, your team leader, your brother get COVID without you. It's, it's like both of us. We're gonna, I'm just saying they're, they're all leaders of the team. There are really different ways that you can inspire that don't include going into isolation out of an abundance of caution. You know, you can just you can you can become a better speech maker. You know, you you can do an extra round of weightlifting. Like you know, they're you know, first one in, last one out. Like that that sort of stuff. It's a little more effective than hey, we got a little bit too close to somebody that may have had exposure. Like again, not telling them how to do it, just suggesting there are other means. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 unfortunate, and again, hopefully everything is okay with them. There's there's a chance that they join rejoin the team over the course of this road trip. It's a ten day trip. The timing is just absolutely uh, bizarre, but uh, there's no concern that it's something that affects the whole team. So if there's a silver lining in this, it's that it is isolated between just two individuals. So, so, Law, you mentioned that, like, you know, this is the first exposure that the Clippers have had. The Lakers have been more or less, uh, you know, have been able to avoid this. You know, Alex Caruso was in the in the protocols for however long it was, a week, you know, 10 days, whatever. That's, Again, abundance of caution stuff. Right. Interesting. That, these the rules. This is the, these exactly. are the rules. If you get close to somebody, that's, that's how it is. Do you expect every team at some point is going to lose players and lose games to – this, I mean, that, that no team gets through the entire regular season without something happening with this, like at scale. Yeah, I mean, again, we're we're at eighty, well over eighty percent of the of, of the teams that have been affected at some point, um, and even even in this case, doesn't look like the Clippers are going to lo- are going to get any games postponed. Like the game in Atlanta is still going on, so mm-hmm. they're one of the rare teams who they haven't needed to lose any games in the first half of the schedule uh, because of anything going on with them or their opponents. Uh, let's see if they complete this road trip. You know what I mean? Like every team is supposed to play 72 games. Uh, let's see if that actually happens. You saw the Wizards just came back yesterday. They had, what, two weeks off, something like that. So um, it, I think the expectation is that you're just trying to get through this uh, the the worst part of this virus, relatively speaking, because we have redefined the quote unquote worst part of this virus. How many times now? Um, it's it's <laughs> right. it's a damn shame. It's 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 what we're all dealing with as a country, and a small part of the country is this um, excursion of professional basketball that we're all seeing. So you know, it's 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 you know, it's a bridge held by uh, toothpicks at this point, and you're just hoping to get to one part of the season to the next. You know, it's interesting, but. Uh... Thinking about stuff that we were going to talk with you about today, yesterday, one thing I'd planned on asking was, 
you know, the Lakers have talked about different players have talked about how serious they are taking, you know, the the, the restrictions and how seriously they are really taking trying to keep themselves safe, keep each other safe. But a few of the guys have pointed out, like the NBA's ratcheted up restrictions, you know, in terms of what you're supposed to do on the road, the, the restrictions of, uh, when you're at home, dining, et cetera. They're like in LA, that's basically our life anyway. Yes. So th- a lot of what they want us to do are, is what we have to do anyway. And Oh, I had been thinking about asking you, like, if there's, for lack of a better way of putting it, like a weird advantage of being in a city like L.A. when it comes to trying to avoid COVID, as much as we're dealing with just rampant, rampant issues, the fact that you have to be so restrictive maybe could put you in less precarious situations than some other players around the league. But then over the last 24 hours, A, Paul George and uh, Kawhi Leonard ended up going into the protocol anyway, but B... California and Los Angeles are starting to loosen some restrictions. And yeah. it's going to, it's going to be really interesting to see if it feels like there is any correlation. And hopefully that will, this will not end up being the case between loosened restrictions in both the state and the city and members of the Lakers and the Clippers potentially entering protocols more. Yeah. I think uh, we'll, we'll, we'll learn a lot over the next couple of weeks I think, um, you know, you got one team, the, the Lakers are already on their road trip. You know, they'll they'll head back uh, before the Clippers do, obviously. But uh, this is a lot about what the players can do. Uh, the, the players, the coaching staff, even this came up on the Phoenix trip, uh, the Utah Phoenix trip. A lot of this is, is just about, all right, we know what city we're in. This isn't a huge adjustment for them. They've already had, they've already seen the effects of, you know, what – the protocols are going to do as far as like they can they can decimate your roster they can have you just not have the have developed that cohesiveness at a critical point in the season that's what happened with the Clippers over the summer so when these guys get back to LA I honestly feel like they already they already know you know these are veteran teams um these are these are teams trying to do something um that not every every NBA team can claim that they're trying to do which is contend for a championship and personal responsibility you do the most you can because as we also know you can be the most responsible person relatively speaking and you can still get this or you can still get in protocol absolutely i've stopped judging people for getting uh the virus just because like you just don't know it's so it's that contagious. It's not like you gotta rob a bank. You know, you don't have to like exactly. commit some sort of amoral act to 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 get it. You know, you know, yeah. steal an old lady's purse. I mean, uh, it's yeah. There's there's so much that we want to kind of get into tonight, like with with just the culture of this team and and you know that kind of stuff. And you know, we're gonna get into a Saturday Night Live deep dive because we we learned that you are an expert, like not just like you you know things. Our friend Sabrina Merchant. Um, who you obviously you know, Sabrina's dope. Yeah, she is. is dope, man. Um, she saw that you were on, and we would be talking about Saturday Night Live. She's like, Oh, okay. <laughs> and so, if that got her attention, she's she was on, as we'd like to say, she was on Jeopardy. She's the smartest person we know. Yeah. Um, but I, you wrote something for The Athletic that got my attention on this culture thing because it was Paul George talking about you know, this, this kind of reinvention as a playmaker. And he's always been a pretty good ball mover for a forward and all that. But like the, the Clippers have really cranked it up this year. He, he used the word fun 
in describing like this role for him and what Ty Lu has him doing like a million times in 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 how you quoted him. Yeah. I I'm two things about that. First, what are they doing with him and why is it working so well? But also is this like legitimately that like it's really fun this team is having fun or are they kind of protesting a lot because we all we're all looking at them going last year was such a disaster on that front. I, this is organic. Uh, I know a lot of people are like going to look at the Clippers and they're going to have them under a microscope as far as anything related to what their intangibles are. Mm-hmm. And me being someone who wasn't on the beaten camp but have been following the team, you know, for a, a while. I mean, I'm I'm pretty good at detecting the BS, you know. So uh, for someone like Paul, though, after that particular game. It was just how he was feeling. Like it, it didn't feel forced or sarcastic or anything like that. And what's happening is they're basically telling Paul to do things that he hasn't been asked to do before. You know, like they're basically saying to him and Paul and Kawhi, "Look, we had all these stories about how much we need a, a point guard, a traditional guy who looks like the." player who averages seven, eight assists a game or whatever. Mm-hmm. Why don't you guys go out and do that? You guys are talented enough. You guys are going to have the ball in your hands. You guys have been in the league long enough. And you guys are still at your relative prime uh, physically. You guys make the plays. You guys be involved. You guys participate in your success. And they're doing that. They bought in and, you know, up until t- today. <laughs> like, that's mattered. That has been a big part of a really good offense, not one that last year they were a good offense statistically, but everyone was like, oh, this doesn't look like it's going to work. It was rigid because you had high-level talent and trying to pick and choose when they were going to get their spots. Now it's just like, I mean, we're going to move the ball. We're going to get good shots. I've seen Paul George and Kawhi Leonard this season in games where they shot the hell out of the ball – Make the extra pass just because open shot, you can take it. No one's going to trip. It's like, no, you have it. No, you have it. And they're not overdoing it. It's just finding the best shot. Uh, It's not jump shot heavy. You know, are they shooting jump shots really well? Hell yeah. Right now, yes. They know that they can taper off. But it's about making the right play. And it's not like we need this particular shot. We need that particular. It's like take, take what the defense is giving you. Move the ball. Trust your teammates. If you play like that on the floor, I think it kind of rubs off. And when you're winning um, and or when you're playing the Sacramento Kings, that kind of stuff is going to resonate. One off and leave I think that's how Paul's feeling. Well, you can only you can only play who you're you know who you're supposed to play. But is that yeah. I mean? But is it sort of collective thing we're talking about? Like the Clippers are shooting incredibly well from the from three point range. It's still up in the 40s. Um, like the yeah. last time I looked, like. They're not going to shoot forty four percent for the season, but like where sure do you think that in the last two games? Yeah, where do you think that lands? I mean, the Lakers, the Lakers are in a similar boat. Like KCP is not going to shoot fifty seven percent from three point range for the entire year. You know, Alex Caruso at some point is going to dip under fifty percent. How good do you, do you think the Clippers though can be, um, and how good do they need to be for that offense to be you know kind of as good as it as as it it has been? Well, the shooting is something that I think it'll drop off. Obviously, again, uh, they shot 30% from three in the last two games, still found a way to win against the Thunder in both of those games. Uh, But 
the thing that you can kind of take to the bank is that they're getting great looks. I mean, if, if guys are open, if the shots aren't forced, I think that the drop off isn't going to be that significant. Like this is a team with, I mean, they pay for, they, they're paying for talent here, you know, and these guys all have decent track records. It's not like guys are completely out. Are they out shooting expectations? Yeah, but it's not so much where you think that it's going to drop off significantly. The drop off is going to be relatively subtle. Uh, the concern is, and we're going to see a lot with as long as Paul and, and Kawhi are out. Uh, are they going to get the easier shots inside? Are they going to get to the line enough? I mean, Lou Williams is a guy who, for years, he's a small guard who gets to the line. I mean, he looked like the guy who, who took him under his wing when he came into the league, Allen Iverson, when it comes to his free throw rate as a small guard. He looks like a year 16 player this year uh, in that regard. So it's one of those things where, you don't have Montrezl Harrell. You don't have that guy drawing fouls. You don't have that guy rim running uh, or creating their own shots as much. The jump shot and the ball movement is the core of this offense now. And honestly, like that's that's where they're going to go. The break glass in case of emergency guy is Kawhi because when the jump shots aren't falling or when the ball movement gets a little stagnant, He's the best guy who can kind of get his own shot, take advantage of several mismatches, and even his free throw rates down. So there's a chance that certain things can get better as the jump shots kind of taper off. But they should be a top five offense. It's interesting you say that uh, just because going through some of their uh, advanced numbers, one thing that really jumped out at me is how the offense has been so efficient, but at the same time, like their pace rating has really drop this season like they're averaging oh, yeah. around four fewer possessions per game than last year they run less they get fewer transition points they get to yeah. the line way less often and in theory it means they're getting fewer cheap points which and cheap points can often be a really good way to bump up your effective field goal percentage and stuff like that but they're shooting really well from two and three and slowing this offense hasn't led to like the plotting inefficient results that sometimes happen when teams do something like that. Yeah. Doc, and and if you look at the Philadelphia 76ers, you see their pace is up, you know, even though they happen to have the most post-dominant uh, player in the league, uh, arguably speaking, in Joel Embiid. Uh, Doc would always wave his arm, you know, run, go. Didn't matter what court it was, didn't matter what situation was. He he prioritized an element of pace, especially after Chris Paul was traded, because you know Chris Paul uh, likes to pound pound a rock. That's that's he's the point guy. That's what he does. This team, Teron Lou probably would not mind having more pace. To be honest with you, he wants team. He wants his team to you know take the opportunities that present themselves and get out and run. But at the same time, if you pass the ball, which they're doing so much more than last year, it might it might take a little longer to get these good shots. And that's really what's happening because they're prioritizing the ball movement, because they have more passes per game. That's going to kind of decrease the amount of possessions per game. So as long as they do that, and again, Teron, Lou, Coach, LeBron, James, and Cleveland, those offenses were, were, were stellar. Uh, you know, the priority for Ty is to get the best shot. And that's really what this team has been about. That's the main reason why the pace is slow. It's not like they want to deliberately be slow. Ty will tell you, we can we can run more. We can have more possessions. But 
he I think is really satisfied with the fact that everyone is bought into moving the ball. This might be a bit of an unfair question to you just because this season, uh, you know, everything's being done virtually. It's harder to get these guys, you know, one on one or, you know, you can't get the side conversations, that sort of stuff. But like last year, there were a lot of questions about Kawhi and Paul George as leaders of this team. And I think some of it may have been warranted. I think some of it was, frankly, the other guys needing to adjust more to the idea that this is a different team with different goals and the dynamics can be different. But you were talking before about Paul George and Kawhi both being much more involved with facilitating and running the offense and setting up other guys. Do do you think that can be an extension in some ways of leadership for them? Because neither, neither one of them, I think, is a natural leader in the way that we often frame this stuff. And they often were framed last season as kind of being out on their own islands. And, you know, do, do you think there can be something sort of purposeful behind Ty Lue wanting them to do that? Absolutely. Absolutely. This is Kawhi has a sense of ownership of this team that uh, I think that he learned over the course of last year's successes and last year's failures. Uh, I, again, I got to talk with David Aldridge and, and, and Waz uh, last week, and we brought up something similar to this. And my main takeaway is that and you know reggie jackson did a really nice job over the weekend kind of talking to us about this sunday he basically was like when it comes to someone like Hawaii, especially i mean he's opened up a little bit more when he's got it going in the game they know okay he's a man a few words let's like you don't want to touch him you, you know let him go but Kawhi is speaking up more he is taking more ownership of things he has changed and opened up uh to the point where he realizes that you know he's been in this league long enough where he kind of has to set the tone and more than just setting the example, you know, right. but he's a poised player. He's a poised person that matters too. That's another thing about Ty. Like, for example, we talked about the quote unquote leads uh, being challenged narrative, you know, like they'll be up in 20, up 20 in a game and you can't trust them or whatever. But Ty is like, all right, look, we might get up 20. They might make a run. That's happened. That's the NBA. You know, the, the Clippers are an NBA team, which means teams might come back on them every now and again. You don't lose a game because a team, you know, chops 15 points off a 20 point lead. You can still win the game. And and right. that boys, that attitude has rubbed off. Well, this, this is one of those things. Lord knows. I mean, you know, we spent a lot of time in, in, in Lakerville, but like nothing, nothing makes the fans of, of elite teams angrier than when you go up by 25 and you let a team back in, and maybe you have, you know, the Lakers lost a game this, this week to Golden State that they should have won. They let yeah. a little bit of a lead get away against Chicago. They they win that game going away. You can focus on one of two things. You can focus on losing the lead, or you can focus on the fact that they keep building up gigantic leads on other NBA teams, which is something that, you know, and letting your foot off the gas, maybe the Clippers are a little bit of a bad example given all the blown leads in the playoffs, but, like, generally speaking, that's not something you worry about in the postseason or down the stretch when you're really focused, I tend to think it's a good sign if you're constantly building up good, you know, big leads. And these are two teams where the stars, like when the line, when both teams have both of their stars on the line on the floor, they're kicking the crap out of teams. And the Clippers have been just destroying teams with George and Leonard on the floor. I, I would think that would be the place to focus. Yeah. And I mean, that's kind of where I focus, but I, I realized that, um, <laughs> The Clippers is uh, 
is a distracting beat for a lot of people. You know, um, there are a lot of trains. People don't like it when their trains are late, man. So like you, you have to respond to a lot of stuff where it's like if it's any other team, you know, you wouldn't be tripping about it. But because of the Clippers, it's like uh, when's the next thing? So. Well, I mean, they've been been promised, if you want to take this metaphor, they've been promised, the fans of the Clippers, this, like, killer train for a long time. (laughs) Like, it's not even just the train being late. Like, they've been promised, like, a bullet train. Just this amazing bullet train with amazing food on it. And, like, it's going to get from, like, Long Beach to Santa Monica in two and a half minutes. I mean, like, there have been big promises about this train. And it keeps breaking down even though like the the ownership of the train company has gotten considerably better and like you know all the all the people involved with running this train has continually gotten better train keeps breaking down so i i can see where they get angsty because i mean yeah. if if you have been like i mean for real if you've been a clipper fan for a while you've got to feel like damn this is close like the, the, it's almost worse now than when you just knew. Yeah, you know what? We're gonna suck, and I've made my peace with this. Like yeah. this is this is the organization that I latched onto for whatever the hell reason. Yeah, when you actually have to invest your 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 time and energy into something like uh like basketball fandom, like fandom of a good team, like it changes it changes your whole schedule, it changes your 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 life almost. I mean, we're I mean, we were just now talking about the uh, about fans getting upset when the team kind of loses a big lead. It's like you want to go to bed. You know what I mean? You don't want to spend – even though the game doesn't end until the game ends. It's like, yeah, I want to be able to – Yeah, you want the stress surprised. to go down. Like, that fear here. kills people, man. Like that's – so it's the same thing with this Clippers team. You know, people uh, there, there, there are some people who are fans of this team, and they they want to be rewarded for the, the time that they've invested. And um, last year was a big disappointment. Last year uh, was was tough for a lot of people who talked big stuff about this team. Um, and you know what? This the 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 players kind of feel that, and then they was like, "This is a new season. They have a new opportunity to do something." And that's for right now, last week of January. That's all you can really ask for. Well, as as Morgan Freeman said, as uh, Ellis Boy, uh, uh, as Ellis Red Redding in uh, Shawshank, hope it's a dangerous thing. You can kill a man. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, that's that's a place where Clippers fans have been. Okay. By the way, too, uh, because Sabrina Merchant on the chat, and hello, Sabrina. Uh, everyone what loves her um, she specifically requested that we keep the train metaphor going as long as possible. If you wanted to stretch this out, you could say that in LA, the train really is like the Snowpiercer setup because you've got the rich elites in one section of the train, and locally that would be the Lakers in terms of the accomplishments and the success and the prestige and blah blah blah. And then you've got all the people eating that like black slime, whatever the hell it is, <laughs> over in the other section of the train, trying to have this successful uprising, and that would be the Clippers. Oh, if you God. wanted to stretch this out even further, you're welcome, Sabrina. All, all I'm going to say about that is that's the first time I've heard of uh, Snowpiercer before. So, oh, you should see oh, this we don't movie, Snowpiercer. Oh. Yeah. Oh, dude, it's so good. <laughs> it's good. Really it's good movie. really good. 
it, yeah. it it's a uh, it's by the guy who directed Parasite. Um, I, I, I I'm forgetting his name. Um, we'll it, it, oh yeah, it's okay. Sabrina Sabrina agrees. I appreciate it. Snowpiercer is awesome. Yeah, for for real, man. See this movie. It sounds so awesome. Uh, it's, uh, it's really it's it's fascinating. It's a great movie. The it's TNT really the TNT TV show of it is sort of watchable, but the movie is is fantastic. Yeah, um, absolutely. Coming up, uh, Polar Express, and uh, we're also going to do uh, a Hogwarts. <laughs> uh, we'll do something about that Hogwarts train. <laughs> uh, we just got to figure that out. I will. I will absolutely describe a highlight as a snow piercing. Y'all gonna know where that comes from. Please, please. That, 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 that'll be a bullet. For some time this season. Can you explain what got has gotten into Nick Batum? Is this just one of those deals where a player reaches a certain point in his career and just is useless to a bad team, but you put him around good players and suddenly, or is he like just invested again? What's going on here? Because he's been fantastic. You know, it's really interesting to me. Uh, his time in Charlotte was so disruptive. You know, um, they played him out of position. He was actually looking forward to a new coaching staff because it meant that he wasn't going to play shooting guard. And then, I mean, he just didn't fit with those guys. I thought last year that he was he 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 wasn't a rotation player in the NBA anymore uh, with the way he was struggling to shoot, struggling to score, not even looking at the basket to score. And, I mean, he's dunking. He's making corner threes at an elite rate. I mean, the three-point shooting might drop. But, again, he's just taking good shots. He's, he's always been a heady player. He's always been a skilled player. And this is a really good team that he's around. He's being asked. He's in a creative role. You know, um, again, it's fortunate, um, relatively speaking, because Draymond Green in 2014, that was different. But David Lee was supposed to start for Steve Kerr's first Golden State Warriors team. David Lee got hurt in training camp. Draymond, who showed he was a really good player uh, in the postseason, um, the the spring before, he steps into the starting lineup, and it just clicks. That team goes from really good to, well, you saw what happened with the Warriors. I'm not – comparing Batum on the same level, but relatively speaking, him being the four in that lineup with those other guys that they have around him, he's a good connector. He's an outstanding glue guy. And that's really what it is. He's got good character. He's been in the league. He's, he's, you know, he's got his money, but he's also had his ups and downs. He's at a point where he's not about ego, you know, Um, and the Clippers, they lucked out in a way. Everyone lucked out in this. I think it's exceeded expectations. And the only thing that will really drop off is he's not going to shoot high 40s from three the whole season. But even then, it's like he's a decent shooter. He's a good passer. He's a versatile player. He's in pretty decent shape. It's really worked out. It's kind of a Draymond light feel to him. Although he he shoots now. Draymond doesn't even like to shoot anymore. You know, but Tim will take Uh, take Draymond had a season. Where he hit them threes, and oh, that's no, I'm not saying I, that's why I said anymore. Not that he never yes. did, but just anymore. Yes, uh, but yeah, there is that kind of feel of this, you know, big guy who does so many things. You know, he's always been really skilled, but yeah, contracts are weird. Like you know, you you get a guy who gets overpaid, and all of a sudden it's about everything that they can't do, and and they they don't do instead of what they still can do. Yeah, guys and, get you know, excited just because they can do a lot of stuff, and then. Uh, you know, the, the you come in and it's just like, all right, 
where's the where's the production I was promised? You know, um, <laughs> Kelly's growing. Uh, Kelly Eagle uh, from the uh, Athletic. Ke- yeah, yeah. Kelly. Uh, I, first of all, I can't wait to get to Houston. I've never been, and um, really excited to kick it with them. But my man's got an avatar with trench coat, straight out of Spectre Gadget, and the mask on. <laughs> going to be the first call when they bring that show back. Uh, <laughs> but, but maybe he but, meant like, in a sort of like you're walking the red carpet. Who are you wearing kind of thing? Oh man. If, 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 if that's the case, then I'm wearing me. <laughs> um, you know, I wanted to ask you with, uh, we were talking about Paul George and we, we've talked about this on the show in the past. Like he occupies this very, I think interesting and kind of weird space in the Twitter sphere. Like, I don't think that there is a player of his stature and, and you know, of, of that level, like somewhere between star and superstar player who elicits such a reaction for often such pretty innocuous stuff. Like, you know, there, there have been issues that he's had on the court and there have been issues he's had in the playoffs. And I, and I think those criticisms are, are legitimate. You know, he has not played in the way the playoffs in the, in the playoffs the way really OKC or now the Clippers have needed him to. But he has this weird thing where he will say things that I think he means to be pretty innocuous, but somewhere like from inside his head to verbalized into the ether, it doesn't come out the way I think he pictures it or envisions it. And it leads to him driver's seat, for example. Yes, like it it leads to him just getting crushed. Like it's different than a guy like Kyrie Irving, who very clearly is looking to provoke. And you know, I I don't think Kyrie gets the reaction that he's hoping for. I think he wants to be thought of as this incredibly deep thinker and like you know the sort of next level guy. And it just isn't translating for a lot of reasons. But I but Paul George, I don't think is actually looking to be provocative at all. Like I don't consider him a provocative personality, but it's, it's just interesting to watch somebody like that, that I don't think is really looking to be front and center that way, or ever really looking to poke the bear, find himself where he can't really say anything without it becoming problematic. Yeah. Um, I'm going to just be blunt. Like there are so many photoshops of Paul George being a Laker that, because that didn't happen, uh, yeah, and he's basically tried to take control of his career, and it's gone in so many different directions. Uh, you know that obviously doesn't lend yourself to winning the battle of the narrative. You know, and this is coming from someone who's never been anything close to a Lakers sympathizer. So uh, I'm being pretty, I'm being quite objective when I say that. You know, like Paul had a Paul's had a disadvantage with a lot of what he's going to try and say. Uh, it's not the most, it's not the most elegant. I think Paul just kind of wants to hoop, um, and at the same time, Paul. Look, man, when Paul dunked on Chris Birdman Anderson, you know, and, and was wearing number 24 doing it, a lot of people had visions of where Paul George's career is going to go, especially as a counterpart to someone like LeBron James, for instance. Like, I just I just feel like people wanted one thing for Paul. Paul decided his career is going to go a certain way. He's had to overcome a lot physically. And... I mean, sometimes like it just doesn't connect the same with people. 
that's really what it comes down to. Like, I think Paul's at his best when he's just hooping. And that really, that's what he's been doing this season. The more he can just hoop and not have to talk about it, the better off everybody is for it. Well, in that sense, yeah, but like, how how important do you think it is for one of those guys in it, especially particularly in a year like this, where I could see you could go either way on this. How important is it for one of those guys to sort of set a voice for the stuff that we're all talking about? You know, I mean, because it is a weird season. But usually yeah. there is a guy who can kind of get out in the front and set a tone and 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 do that. Do they? Do the Clippers need that from one of those two? I'm really not sure that they do. But if I I, I can acknowledge that this is more of a Paul George year uh, for the Clippers than a Kawhi Leonard year. I think last year was the Kawhi Leonard year. He was the reigning Finals MVP. He was the big fish in free agency. Paul was the. Uh, the sidekick, if you if you want to call it that, you know, for lack of a better term, because I don't have a better term right now, you know, um, it was clearly like it's Kawhi first, and then Paul is going to join later, you know, um, as the accessory. Right now, like we all know what Kawhi is about, and Paul is the variable. Paul is the guy who got paid. Paul is the one who is right now having this season that we're calling it a bounce back season for for a reason. Uh, I think. With Kawhi, like he's going to be his 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 guy, his voice, but he's pretty uh, set in how he's going to go about things. And Paul is always evolving. And if there's going to be a quote unquote voice, I, I do believe that it's going to be um, like you know what you're going to get out of Kawhi. Paul's the Paul's a little bit of a wild card here. He's a. I've said this before, but I, I really believe it. When people look back on this particular era of the NBA, Paul George is going to end up this fascinating flashpoint player because he has been connected to so many different teams and the decisions that he's made about teams that he's joined, didn't join, wanted to get traded to, they've set so many different moving parts in motion. Like, I mean, like the Lakers heading into when they got LeBron, they they were incredibly confident that they were going to be getting Paul George. And then, yeah. you know, the moves that they were oh, making. It was Paul George and. Right. Paul George and this guy. Paul George and that guy. Maybe Paul George and LeBron, but whatever. But it was definitely Paul George. Oh, and they had been making moves after a while that you could see were anticipating, you know, Paul George and LeBron. And, you know, LeBron's arrival was very much telegraphed as well. I think they were legitimately shocked they didn't end up with Paul George. But then, again, all of the different ripple effects of where he's ended up going, where he's ended up getting traded to, where, you know, the, the moves that he and Kawhi did together to end up with the Clippers, and we'll see what ends up coming from that. Like, he's not somebody that you would have been thinking about as this guy necessarily in the middle of everything because there are players of a higher stature than him that may not have as many connection points. But he's really going to end up like a big figure in all of this. Yeah, and and I remember I, I was I was chilling in Jersey that summer of 2018 uh, when Paul made his decision. I think it was what that Friday night or that Saturday night the 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 uh, stand up special in Oklahoma City with, with Russ, and it was like oh people are going to be upset about this because you got to remember that February the All Star game was in Los Angeles mm-hmm, and. Mm-hmm. Russ had to tell a bunch of people in, in Los Angeles, Paul ain't coming here. And Russ was Russ was right for a year, you know. 
Um, yeah. and he was right as far as like not coming to play for the Lakers, but yeah, Paul's just been roped in so many different directions. Paul even acknowledged over over the past year about hey, he would have stayed in Indy if Indy acted right about Anthony Davis's situation. You know, that's another thing. It's like now they're both in Los Angeles playing for different teams, and they could have been on the same team in the Eastern Conference, you know, Central Time Zone or whatever we want to call it. Oh, no. Indies, I've never been to Indiana. I just you know, know what? But they, they do weird the things. <laughs> they, they do like, uh, like, I'm missing a ton. They don't do daylight savings or something there. Like, they, they keep their own time. So, yeah, trying to figure out the time zones there. Don't beat yourself up. Hey. I'm from the I'm from the East Coast, so you know I try and be respective of where what time everybody is uh, checking in. So I I learned actually we were talking about this before the show, and I may have even known this for a while and forgotten. You know, there's just a lot of time has passed, but that you actually at one point were part of the Clipper blog that was part of the ESPN True Hoop community which was a big part of the whole beginning of NBA blog culture, which eventually blog uh, evolved into NBA Twitter and all this stuff, you know, which Brian and I were a part of, you know, that NBA blog culture in the beginning, you know, when we were doing the Laker blog for the LA times, like we were among the few main writers working for a mainstream outlet, but doing it in blog style coverage as opposed you can, to you can go ahead and use the word trailblazer, Andy. It's okay. I mean, that's, no, what, I, most, that's what most people consider. I don't us. think it, I don't think, it to, I don't think any of this needs to be said, Brian. I mean, like, it's kind of like, you know, when, when somebody is an incredible, like, I want to put myself on the level of some of the greatest, like, you know, civil rights leaders or, you know, like really big thinkers, but they're, they're all, it's everybody knows the type of groundbreaking important people that they are. And it doesn't need to be said, obviously that's people like you and me, but like, it's, it's interesting though, just to see like where all of this has evolved. You know what I mean? Like just because that was a period where we were sort of figuring out, okay, like what are, what are the boundaries that you can push in covering a traditional sport, you know, like in a, a traditional league, like the NBA, which, you know, at, at the time the NBA was not, quite as progressive and sort of creative a league as, as it is now. And it, it like, I guess, sort of what, what have been your impressions of seeing uh, law, just the, the evolution of all this? Honestly, uh, first of all, you got to give a lot of credit to Adam Silver um, because while I was at Clipper blog and, you know, shout out to everybody there, especially uh, Kevin Artivis, Andrew Hahn, uh, the home Yovan, you know, um, when, when I was there, I was also at NFL Media. I was a researcher there. And it was a really interesting kind of contrast between how the NFL handled things uh, with their creative properties and how the <laughs> NBA handled things. You know, I was literally doing both at the same time. Uh, oh, wow. Like when I was a researcher at NFL, like, you know, we're, we're you know, I actually sat next to Jordan Dahlman, who uh she's she's amazing um and she's like she she was working in social media and like um her her team at the nfl now like i mean is let's just put it this way it's evolved to the point where they got a versus event for the pro bowl so shout out to her like she, her and her team like they've done great things so we used to sit next to each other you know um and 
there was like, look, teams can't even post their highlights anymore. NFL teams, they can't post their highlights anymore. They got to wait for the NFL to kind of cut a prescribed version for them to kind of, you know, do themselves. Meanwhile, in the NBA, you know, you got, you just, you just see, it's like, whatever happens in a game, let's talk about it. Let's, let's get it out there. They encourage it. And uh, that's really kind of how, I, I kind of balance the two. It's like, all right, what's the league putting out? What's everybody else putting out? Uh, what what can you say to drive a conversation? And what do you have to kind of wait for? Um, and I think having the perspective of both really kind of really, really kind of helps when you're understanding what resonates with an audience and with the fact that it's a changing audience. Uh, we got people who are going to be bound to what in, entertained them in the 80s, 90s, or 2000s. And then you got we're, we're in 2021, you know, uh, you have to just understand that people coming up after you are going to be shaping how uh, the game is consumed. So uh, that's really my thoughts on that. What's the balance, do you think, between the way that like the on-court, pro- like, the on-court product, like the game itself and how much we spend talking about games and this and that and sort of the the, the culture that develops around talking about it? Like because – those two things sometimes I think end up in opposition a little bit, like in, in terms of what's good for the game, what grows the game. How yeah. do you view that stuff? Man, I would love it if we just talked about the about what's what's what is happening that is relevant and good. Like good teams in the NBA don't get talked about until like <laughs> they do something that that generates a, a bigger conversation. It drew it used to drive me up a wall at ESPN, but you know, I after a while, I couldn't talk about the Pacers, for example. I keep talking about Indiana. This always happens. It's my damn fault. <laughs> but still, I won't bring it up. It's like the Pacers, for example, good team. They don't do a damn thing in the playoffs, right? But they're good. But they're just there. And it's like we need an excuse to talk about them. That's an example. And then you got someone like the Charlotte Hornets, LaMelo Ball, for example. No one wants to talk about Charlotte Hornets. Everyone wants to talk about LaMelo Ball. And it's like – it's he can't grow at his own pace. We're telling we're talking about what the coach needs to do and whatnot. Uh, and it's like that that's that's really where it's at. It's like people want to discuss stuff that they can get in the barbershop and talk about more than it's like, oh, are you good or are you not? You know. Well, I mean it's it's the, all the time. It's the double-edged sword of having a really personality-driven league. Like on one right. hand, it becomes really, really easy to market. I, I think there are a lot of really engaging personalities in the NBA. It's one of the reasons I've really enjoyed covering it. Like I, I genuinely, you know, by and large, like the players that I end up interacting with. I, I think most of them are really good dudes and, and they're interesting and they've got interesting stories. But the flip side is the the league's, you know, not just openness, but r- really inclination to become so star driven, you know, Stars and personalities require stories, and sometimes the stories, I think, become distilled more easily and, and more juicily than an actual game. You know, especially when you know there's a, there's a lot of games before you actually get to you know the the playoffs and stuff like that. And we've also we've become such a ring centric culture that yeah. we we don't appreciate teams like you said before, like the Pacers. They're just good. I mean, like. Okay, they haven't won anything, but a team that hasn't won anything, like the Blazers, like Damian Lillard's Blazers, have not won anything. They've generally been pretty good, assuming everybody's healthy. 
you know, or like the the, the jazz, the jazz, the jazz. Like, can't yeah. let's. Well, can we not appreciate just consistent competence, particularly after what we've all been through over the last few years? Can we just give a shout out to competence? Like, that's we, gotta be that's hard could. to do. We could. I think Andy and Brian, what you guys are really bringing up, the really the crux of it is. Uh, we talk about relationships all the time. Uh, we talk about it in in the business that we're in. We talk about it in our lives in general. Well, I, you look at the stakeholders, the players, the teams, and you want to develop a relationship. You want to develop a reason why you should care about them off the court. You want to find something that connects you. And you know what? Some players allow for that. Some players' stories allow for that. Some teams and what they go through allow for that. And some don't. Some need to just be good, you know. Um, and that is that is the balance. That is something that I am sympathetic to is the fact that, all right, uh, you're someone like me, I'm, I'm too close to it, okay? I love the game, and, and I can stay up late at night watching, you know. But other people don't have the time to invest that much into it. So they need either the team to be good or – they need a great story off the floor. They need to feel something uh, that goes beyond the sport, that goes beyond the game between the lines. And if you understand that as someone who's a consumer of content, if you're uh, understanding that as someone who's a producer of content, I think that goes a long way. And you, uh, even players, they kind of understand it. Some players shy away from it and they could care less about the extra attention. And some are like, oh, no, I'm going to be in this for a while, regardless of how good my jumper is. And that's why they stick around for 25 years after they're done playing. Yeah, it's just it's it's a challenge for the league. Like in some ways, they I think they got what they wanted and they don't quite know what to do with it now. You know, because they they've they've made it's hard to dial back. Like what right, they've made they've made the soap yeah. opera, they've made the soap opera so interesting that it's actually overshadowed what the soap opera was actually created to sell in the first place. Like, you know, yeah. they, they didn't create they didn't create the soap opera to generate a soap opera. Like th this isn't WWE, but now it feels like that, sometimes though, don't it? it? Does, well, it does. I mean, it, it actually <laughs> really does. Like, and that's something yeah. that I, I think the league the league is now dealing with that type of challenge. And and it'll be interesting to see, you know, especially once we, God willing, get back to some normal times, how they go about trying to address that because it, it really is something that they they need to get more of a handle on and, and really try to find that perfect sweet spot yeah it's it's uh you know it, it come playoff time especially you know you you got heel broadcasters you got you got heel players right that's why i say like the wwe the pro wrestling kind of feel to things it, it yeah it does rub off like everyone wants to go gravitate the hate on the nets for a bunch of reasons and it's like well the Nets also have to figure out their stuff as a basketball team. You know, the personalities are there. The storylines might be there. The team isn't quite there yet. You know, th that's going to be fascinating to, to watch. It's funny you use the word, the term heel turn, because like that, it feels like that's where George, for example, has kind of ended up as like almost like a little bit of the heel and, you know, I'm going to go out and prove to so certain guys kind of embrace it. LeBron tried to embrace yeah. it a little bit and it didn't quite fit. Um, he wasn't very good at it. You know, I think KD has a little bit of that kind of wants to, you know, throw it. But like, it's not fun I've to be this like, I've never thought of it like as something that's kind of inflicted upon, like put on to someone where they get cast in that role. But I think you're right. Like, I think we do that. Like, 
Paul George is the bad guy. Anthony Davis cast is the good guy. You know, you know, Dame Lillard definitely cast. How did those choices get made? Like, how, how do you end up in one category or another? That's fascinating. You know, I think a lot of it has to do with the team you want sometimes. Like, I personally would disagree that AD's been a, a quote-unquote baby face. I think he's been well, a heel. I, I, like, I think it's the way that, that, that all went down in New Orleans, that was a heel turn. That's yeah. heel. That's that's a heel move, man, straight up. And then there's, like you said, some guys embrace it and some guys don't. I think KD – Fully is is with this, you know. He's he wants all the smoke. He went to the Nets and is clowning Knicks fans, throwing it in their face. That's a heel move. PG's not a heel, or at least he no. doesn't want to be. And that is a conflict. And again, people don't like conflicts like that. You know, people want to be like, this is the role we set for you. We need you to follow through on it. And when there's resistance to that, you know, hell, the Clippers' entire being good is a resistance to what people are expecting, right? That's why people are like, damn, why they got to be good? We got to move these goalposts. You know, PG, it's like, PG is not really trying to be a heel, but people would prefer him to be a heel. So there's a lot. What I meant with AD was like, yes, there's no question forcing your way out of, you know, plucky New Orleans is is a heel turn. But by the time it got through with all the stuff the Lakers went through last year with all that, like the, there was sort of like that redemption story of like the guy who, you know, kind of maybe it's just because that's how we've treated it locally, but yeah. you know that he becomes this player who steps up and into the into the spotlight, into the moment. Um, that that it becomes kind of a, a good guy thing in that way. But oh, now I'm just gonna be sitting here thinking all night about you know like all of this like in pro wrestling terms and like who's gonna be coming in with a steel chair and all that. Um, <laughs> A lot of the it's the broadcast. Like the broadcasters often treat the 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 way that today's players play, all of them, as a heel turn. So, I, no, that, that wasn't a question. That was just now I'm, I'm it gets thrust upon a lot of these guys. Yeah. I mean, just yeah. it, you know, and also especially because we live in the social media age, and you know, once things get. You know, once anything gets caught up in the echo chamber vortex that is Twitter, that is Instagram, that is anything on social, you know, that that identity starts becoming thrust upon them and everybody sort of agrees on it. And that's what you end up becoming, you know, whether you like it or not. Like we were talking about before, this isn't WWE. This isn't, uh, you know, Paul George doesn't sit down with Adam Silver and say, okay, this is the role that we've scripted out for you for this year. This is the character that we've done some focus grouping and we think like it's going to really do well. And we eventually, when we build up the big matchup between you and LeBron in the finals, like, you know, this, this isn't Hulk Hogan. <laughs> like this, this is, yeah. this is real. And these guys, you know, often don't like, I mean, it's, it is very, it's very few, the amount of players that can be somebody like Kobe who was genuinely cool with you not liking him. And even then, you know, Kobe marketed being sure, disliked. He, he absolutely marketed it. Right. Uh, he, like Kobe, Jay Jones pointed that out today. You should, oh, so. I mean, we've been pointing it out for years. And yeah. he was brilliant with it. He was absolutely brilliant with it. You know, he, he didn't care that you disliked him, but he cared how you disliked him. He was going to control your dislike of him and make sure that you disliked him in the way – that was most beneficial for him. <laughs> but, and, and again, I say that with admiration, but you know, most players, most people aren't comfortable with being disliked, like really being disliked at like that type of stage. It's not, it's not a comfortable feeling. 
Yeah, because you don't go through your adolescence, you know, uh, preparing to deal with that kind of light, you know, especially depending on what kind of community you're coming from. Like, you know, not every player grew up with a with, with a pro as a in, in their family, you know, a pro athlete, for instance, uh, especially in this media age. Uh, like that's something that kind of you're you got to adapt to with what's around you. And that's that's tough. You know, we do a lot of building people up getting excited for them, waiting for the hype to be validated. And then there's this, okay, how long does it last? What haven't they done? Uh, we're going to, we're going to break them down. And then because we're Americans and we love to talk about the American dream and whatnot, we'll talk about the redemption, you know, Oh, you, 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 you fallen. Let's see you get back up. Yeah. It's a very interesting study as far as like how public figures are, are treated and pro athletes is different because they have two pressures. They have to be seen, but they also have to maintain this physical dominance that allows them to do what they do on a regular basis. And I, I just, I, I get fascinated too. And we definitely, can you say, you don't mind staying a couple of minutes because we definitely want to talk a little bit of oh, yeah. SNL before we go. Um, yeah, I glass of water right here <laughs> there you go I, I i am fascinated by the the thing that basketball players and most of them need to do where you have to not only just be comfortable with like the attention you're a public figure like you walk around in your daily life and you're six eight you're six nine you're six ten you can't hide anywhere you go you know, and so like, even if people don't know who you are, they kind of know who you are because there aren't that many seven footers walking around the planet. You know, I, I, I saw Trevor Ariza a few weeks ago. Um, just walk, I was walking my daughter in a stroller and he walked by in a locker room. I like Trevor looks like a normal person. Hold up my microphone, talk to me, whatever on the street. It's like, Oh my God, that's an enormous human being. And so I, you put all those things together and it, it just adds to this you know, I, I think the challenges that we underrate about being yeah. in this league. I, I used to not, I used to not think of Kobe as that tall. Like he's almost a foot taller than me, but like, I, <laughs> I didn't think of him that way because a, I got used to being around him, but B I was in a locker room with guys six or seven inches taller than him. So like he sort of became the cutoff point. Like you know, like Derek Fisher, who was taller than me. Like I didn't, I didn't think no, of Derek Fisher is short. I think of I Derek did, Fisher. Is I high. did not think of Derek Fisher as a tall person, which clearly he is. And you know, or guys who are like six three, six four. Like I, Shannon Brown. Like I stopped thinking of Shannon as like a tall guy. He's clearly really tall. How much? How much do you think stuff like that matters? Like just in terms of the overall comfort and the way these guys kind of move through life not just through their professional life i mean when i'm i'm six feet i blend i can blend in but i can blend in with guys who are taller than me i can blend in in the, in the world in general you know I, I, I again i think it's really depends on the individual you know um it depends on how comfortable are you what what are your social engineering skills like um and how how have you been perceived uh, as you've gotten to the point where, you know, you're going to be a pro or going to be a public figure? Some people just just like kids. Right. Some people kind of adapt to it faster than others. Some people never do adapt to it. 
Yeah, it's just it's it's these guys have a very very unique life in in a lot of different ways. So we were actually DMing a little bit back and forth and asking if there was anything non sports that you wanted to get into, and you sent a uh, just a the I guess a JPEG of this the uh, upcoming S- SNL schedule. Um, yeah, and you had said that you wanted to get into this and that you are. If I if I may use um, your own words, uh, an SNL historian. Yeah. Uh, so what does that mean exactly? It means that I know I'm, I'm I'm young. You know, I was born twelve years after the show debuted. You know, and I didn't come up with parents who like watch the show all the time. Like, so I wasn't one of those kids. I didn't get into the show until high school, but I got into the show at a time where I was really starting to balance my athletic interests and my academic interests with my artistic ones. Um, when when 9-11 happened, uh, I actually got to go to New York a few months after that uh, with my mom on a bus trip. Um, and I had to be at 30 Rock and I got to see where the show was. And back then, me and my brother, we, we would be watching Mad TV on Saturday nights. But then we started to get curious about what, you know, about SNL because we'd flip over at midnight when Mad TV used to end. And then we were like, how does the show start? So we will start watching it. And then by the time my sophomore year started, like I just really liked the show um, and really liked the format, not just the show for the comedy, but the format, like the introduction to music. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause when you look at the back catalog and see who's been on and what, 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 what songs they perform. Yeah. Like for me, I, I went from being someone who was, relatively eclectic to like oh i can appreciate pretty much anything um and you know then i just grew into the show because i really like doing i I like performing for myself like i've done improv before i've done um horrible stand-up comedy that you can't find (laughs) Um, you know i've 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 gotten comfortable with balancing my and finding what my writing style is personally like my writing style i have a really hard time staying in a box and like I just grew to appreciate a different kind of writing. There's sports writing, and there's comedy writing. Right? Andy, I think I, you mentioned like yeah, that was maybe in your I've, background too. Yeah, I've I've done improv training before, and I've actually when Brian and I have spoken to a few journalism uh, classes at USC, you know that you get asked like questions, you know, your advice, things like that. And, I, and I'm always thinking like I don't know what I'm going to tell these people that they haven't heard from a lot of other guest talkers. But the one thing I always tell them is if you can take an improv class, you know, take a bunch of improv classes because outside of the fact that I think it's really fun, it will help you as a journalist and as a writer. Like it teaches you the value of listening. It teaches you the value of working with what's in front of you as opposed to a preset agenda. Like it teaches you to be very, very much in the moment. Like it's really, really, I think, I think frankly, be pretty valuable for a lot of professions, but for anybody looking to do what we do or any form of really like writing or interacting with people, I think it's extremely valuable. Yeah. It, it really allows you to just be adaptable to really much a, a, a wide variety of situations. Uh, you bring up USC. I went to USC for grad school. I got a shout out uh, my, the homie, Andy, uh, Andy Hagman. We put her on a couple of mm-hmm. times. Um, when it comes to this week's SNL, right, it's the first show in a long time. And Andy and Brian, I know y'all have thoughts about how 
uh, the season has gone, past few seasons have gone, how they've approached a lot of things. And it's a really interesting um, inflection point in the show because, uh, you know, the previous presidential administration, um, like SNL was kind of culpable in terms of how they pretty much legitimized dude who got elected. Oh, yeah. And they struggle with that. Um, they really struggle with that. And um, Andy was actually bringing up that Al Baldwin, he's been playing uh, Trump for the past, you know, four or five years or whatever. And uh, his uh, his wife, Hilaria, has been in the news <laughs> Uh, for impersonating such a um, strange yeah. yeah it's so weird but it's like this is alex been in these weird situations so many times and it's like um it reminded me of uh hilarious situation reminded me of when melania was at one of the conventions and gave her speech and jared hill outed melania for ripping that speech from michelle obama right um, like <laughs> pretty directly, and so it would just be interesting to see if they handle that. Like, if Alec is on the show, if they close out the quote unquote, um, you know, that era, the transition over to the new president on the show. But the show's been so uneven this season, um, and they had the weight of the pandemic of last year being interrupted and ending early of just they they have cast members doing a whole bunch of other projects. You know, no one was going to want to leave at the, the show at the end of last season. So everyone was retained. They still had a cast members. It's the largest cast ever. This is the historian part here. Like 20 cast members. Shows never yeah, it's had. huge. I looked at that. I, I pulled it up to be like, pull some names, make sure I know kind of who's. It is massive. Yeah. Like um, it's it's been uneven for so many reasons. And their hope is that they can not have to rely on the crutch that is dysfunctional american politics as much and get back to being a variety show and maybe these next few shows will will give a glimpse into how the rest of the season goes so um really really interesting um john krasinski is interesting he would have been the last he was the last announced host before the pandemic hit and kind of shut things down in new york uh you know dan levy i, I imagine he was going to be he was supposed to be uh, promoting quiet place too Yes, exactly. Like that, that was, that was going to be the case in March. So um, it's nice that they brought him back. Uh, Dan Levy is, is interesting. And then Regina King is like, uh, Man, shout out to OMB for saving her life a few years ago at the Knicks oh, she, game. She, That's she's, what, we had her on our podcast, uh, our old ESPN podcast years ago. She's awesome. Like she's one of those people that you are so happy to see her success because it's so deserved. And, and like she's worked for it and she's had periods where it seemed like she was going to break out and then it didn't quite happen. There's been a few of those, but like she's so talented and she just, again, she's, she's earned this. She deserves it. It's awesome to see. Yeah. I can't, I can't wait to see um, how, how they use her um, and, and what, what they do. And yeah, it's just going to be an interesting rest of the season. Um, I, I expect that these might be the last time you see a lot of those cast members, uh, the weekend, weekend update spent seven years with the same anchors. Right. That's probably, it might be it like after this season. So um, like, I think the show is definitely in a state of transition and it'll be interesting to see how it goes. One of the things that I think is fascinating about like, I, I, it's been, I can't think of the last time I actually sat down and watched an episode of Saturday Night Live while it was on. 
Um, Man, I got a whole doc I can share it with you if you need no, it. No, but I consume it. What I, plus, some of that's like, look, I got three kids and like 93 jobs, and like I'm tired. A lot of Saturday, I fall asleep. But like, but I think like a lot of people now, I actually consume Saturday Night Live on Sunday on social media, whatever's passed around. Like it's it's not a clip show necessarily, but it's kind of consumed that way, I think, by a I, lot of people. I actually feel like it's kind of constructed now, like a clip show. Like that you was see that my question. Like you what see do that you with think, talk shows. Yeah, too. what's the influence of that? It reminds me a little bit of the way that album culture and music has become kind of singles culture. How is yeah. how do you think that has impacted the way that sketches are written, the way that that you know that the types of cast members that they have on all of that stuff? I think that that SNL started to embrace this right around the 0506 season. And the 0506 season, that was the first season that Andy Samberg was on the show. Uh, and he joined with Bill Hader. Jason Sudeikis was a cast member um, who joined the previous May. He was a writer for long before that. And then Kristen Wiig joined that November. Um, that's when the show started to transition from this old linear version of we're going to do things how we've been doing it for pretty much to that point about um, 10 seasons uh, to like, okay, you know what? People are starting to watch the internet for, for this stuff. You know, it's not about the ratings or anything like that. And uh, that's when you got more of the quote unquote digital shorts. And then it's like, Oh, we're going to do one of these every week. Like when lazy Sunday came out December yeah. 05, it was like, uh, Oh, this hit, but where did it hit? Not necessarily live, but on the internet. And then they started realizing, okay, you know what? Uh, just like just like sports media, where you have to adapt, you know, blog culture and everything. It's like the show is like, all right, look, what we do live is what we do live, but uh, there's a there there is going to be stuff that has more of a staying power that's going to resonate longer and with perhaps a different audience. And even Andy Samberg's been off the show for what seven seasons now, and it's still that same idea of we can do fun things live, we can hit things that are topical, but let's also like understand that we might need some things that are going to hit in the middle of the week. Like they play into that more. So I think that really started 05, 06. Yeah, I mean, you see that now with late night talk shows, you know, I think really prevalently when it comes to like Jimmy Fallon or James Corden, like whether you whether you like them or not or find them funny or not, the the construction of what they do on that show is very much set as viral bits. I mean, like they, they're really looking to do a, a late night talk show that is very much set up to be consumed in four to five minute bits piecemeal, if need be like, the, you know, it's pretty obvious. They're not that concerned if you watch the whole thing. Whereas yeah. like the, the David Letterman that I grew up with, it was very much about consuming the entire hour and you would often have callback jokes from the beginning and, and things like that. And I, I think it lends into an interesting issue for, for SNL in that sketch comedy, a, it's hard to do well. It's it's hard it to write well. Yeah. You know, I, I don't, I've attempted to write it before I've tended to perform it. Like it's <laughs> look hard. where you are now. <laughs> exactly. Look where I am now, but it's hard. And I, I think it becomes even harder to create, sort of like classic sketches, things like that, when you're thinking so much about popping in a moment. Like yeah. when you think about sketch comedy that ages well, and I honestly think a lot of it doesn't, but like something like uh, the more cowbell sketch with Will Ferrell, like, 
I think has become one of the most universally loved SNL sketches like in a long time. But part of the reason I think is because it's it's just really random. Like it's not yeah. really it's not really of any particular time. Like the song, the song that they're you know the Don't Fear the Reapers from like the mid seventies. But they're the sh the sketch came in like the early two thousands. You know, yeah, it, two yeah, okay, two thousand. So it's like twenty five yeah. years or so afterwards. It's like a behind the music parody, but by that point, behind the music is really like a template. Like it's really just well, it's, it's it's like the uh, the Stevie Nicks. Uh, the you know, uh, Mexican restaurant thing, you yeah, know, like same kind of, it's just totally random, right? And and the randomness, I think, I think when you think about a lot of SNL sketches that I think have aged well, but also it, I get the impression other people think have aged really well. It's the ones that are less specific about the time that you're in, or you know, really trying to be like trenchant with the moment, but are sometimes just weird for the sake of being weird. And like, you know, just random and funny and they're not really about anything. Yeah. And you know what? That's, I think, the biggest problem with this season is that it's been top heavy. It's been it's it's been like they have to they feel like they have to respond to everything that's been going on. 2020 was an extraordinarily um, difficult year to to just kind of be like light about stuff. And that's where we've, we got 10, 15 minute cold openings. You know, uh, like most of the show, like it, it's the sketches run long because they try to hit so many things. And before you know it, it's like you only have room for literally one or two of those skits that you're talking about, you know, and they're thrown at the end of the show because it's like, well, we're going to balance the show out a little bit. Um, but that's where I'm hoping like they can balance things out. It's like you don't have to react to everything that's happening in the real world. You can just kind of, right. you know. Uh, exercise the talents of your cast and we'll see if the show apps to do that what do you what are your favorite stuff like what are some of the like when you pick your your favorite sketches favorite moment favorite performers like where do you go back to i have something for almost uh almost every era uh i know i hit y'all with the eddie murphy john earlier yeah, I saw that. because that i mean that dude saved the show um yes he did like literally um, he he saved it it would have actually gone under without him that's not an exaggeration yeah, yeah like um the 80s were the, the 80s were weird for that um i really love the consistency of weekend update um and uh it's weird to say this but one of my one of my favorite anchors is actually um Dennis Miller uh and the Dennis Miller since 2000 the 21st century version of Dennis Miller is really not it's it's a shame. Like I'm just gonna not sugarcoat it. Like that's not the person or writer. You don't need to. It's okay. Exactly. Not for, not for our thing. <laughs> but, no, but he was really but, he was really yeah, good. At that. When he was doing his spot on update, like he was a different person. His philosophy, his worldview was a lot lot different. Um, and he was just sharp with it. And that was and that was fun. Like I love looking back at those. And uh, besides besides that, uh, I I've really. It, it's it's really just kind of kind of random. It depends on who's on, and um, like it's 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 like any anybody who kind of does stuff that is just really out there, really strange. It connects. Like I really like John Mulaney when he's hosted these last few years, and I hope he gets well. Um, you know, he's dealing with uh, yeah. some some issues right now. Hope he hope he does well. But again, he's just really f just kind of matter of fact about how funny he can be. 
Do you have a favorite musical performance? Oh man, uh, I've been looking lately. I've been looking at a lot of the '90s stuff, the early '90s stuff. Um, when I, I was discussing the other day, like when Nirvana was on yes. and they just yes. trashed their instruments, when Red Hot Chili Peppers were on, and like it was clear that they needed to break up. <laughs> you know, um, Anthony Kiedis has basically kicked uh, John Frusciante in the middle of the song, and Frusciante winds up throwing it back at Anthony Kiedis when they tried to do Under the Bridge, and he was just completely out of his mind. Um, when uh, do you remember when Pearl Jam? Was- do you remember when Pearl Jam came on right after Kurt Cobain's Kurt suicide? Yes. And- and Eddie Vedder was wearing that shirt and he had a right K on it. Yeah. Uh, and they, they did, did not for you. Songs. Yeah. They did three songs. They did uh, not for you. They did Rearview Mirror, which Rearview Mirror is an amazing tr- uh, commute song. I, uh, yeah. I swear, I'm not this old, but you know, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm, I'm an old okay, soul. That's really and insulting. Yeah, that feels like, that was, like a subtweet. <laughs> you know, that was, that was, that was a moment. First of all, that was an awful season of SNL, and that episode wasn't great. But what saved it was the music. The music yeah. saved a lot of a lot of things in that show. Um, and so, um, I know that those are all like twenty first, twentieth uh, century uh, examples. But um, yeah, like th- those are those are some that resonate like right away. How long do you think the show can can continue? Well, shoot, season fifty is going to be in four years and that's crazy to think about 2024 fall 2024 that's season 50 wow um, and i mean it's an institution i think the closest it can be like straight up we were going to cancel it the last time that was like if it doesn't work you're fired you're canceled was 95 right and they had yeah. like sandler yeah. and Harley. will ferrell saved the show again that in that cast <laughs> so now i think it's at the point where even if lauren michaels leaves they'll find someone to produce the show and keep it going and I think depending on who they pick, because when they tried that in 1980, uh, they work out with Gene Dominion, you know, um, it depends on who they pick to repl- to kind of succeed him. If it's someone who's been in the show and knows the show and, and cares about the show going on in the format that it's in, I think it can stay on for a really long time, even after Lauren's gone. But um, if they pick someone who is just going to do a whole bunch of stuff to change it like shorten it and it's i don't think it's you know it, it might not be well, the same. this is where that that whole thing about like you know in, in a world where tv ratings matter less and less and less and less a show like this actually i think probably becomes more sustainable um, exactly there's so many things that you can do to to make it pop, popular and viable and 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 profitable which is obviously the yeah. thing that you know matters the most um all right this was a ton of fun. Uh, we really appreciate you giving us a little bit of extra time. We'd love to do it again. Um, you know, it's, it's a long basketball season and, um, I feel like there's some stuff that's particularly on the Saturday night live thing that we didn't get to because you weren't kidding. You you were a historian of the show. Yeah. Just scratch, just scratching the surface. And you know what? Uh, there will be a day where I chop it up with you guys where I'm not trying to figure out, uh, stuff about, coronavirus testing so Seriously, um, let's hope that, that it's coming up hope that's hope true that it's coming up soon remember go see snowpiercer 
Go watch it. Man. It's, a, it's an awesome movie. Awesome movie. Uh, this was the first night in what we are excited about. It's going to be a really fun week. Tomorrow night, Ben Taylor, uh, uh, Thinking Basketball. It's an incredible series if you haven't seen it on different players, Magic Bird, uh, Kobe, people at their peak. Like They're really what made them so tremendous and, and evaluating at their best. Um, so we'll have him on to talk about that series tomorrow, Wednesday, Steve Falk and Chris Gear, uh, the creator and the lead of You're the Worst on FX, one of the funniest shows that's been on the air in a long time. Yeah. Talk to those guys. Um, and then you can see Samus Fendiar and Andy Liu from uh, the Light Years podcast up north and uh, Nakia Stone. Andy Liu, former Clipper Blog contributor. That's right. It is it's Clipper Blog Week. Night happy <laughs> it is Clipper Blog Week. We didn't, we and, didn't uh, realize Nikia's it, but it is. Nakia Stunk yeah, on Friday. I, love it. I had to give him that shout out. Oh yeah, we're, this, we're that's excited gonna be to have him on, man. These are people who uh, are very, very angry at Steve Kerr. Uh, so we'll talk about very <laughs> angry, angry all the time. Anger is good. It's oh. good for. Yeah, maybe. It might be good for the show. I don't know if it's, it's good, good for, for the show. Uh, <laughs> as a life, I'm not, though, I'm not carrying it around personally. It's really going to be good uh, for us. Check Remember out some- everything. Check out everything Law Murray is writing at the Athletic. Uh, great coverage of the Clippers and all this. Anything else? You, you know, they they got you set up with your podcast yet? What's what else going on? Or just uh, you know, uh, first of all, my editors are great. Uh, Joe Lago, Rich Hammond, they've really done a great job of setting me up for success over these first two weeks. Um, and I so not strong for those guys, but that's okay. Hey, uh, I mean, look, just kidding. We, they, we work. They, they, deserve, <laughs> they, they deserve all my praise. Like, I, no, I really they're love they're great. They're fantastic. Rich was so, on last week. I did. I see. I saw Rich. I saw Jordan. I saw yeah. a bunch of birds. I, I wasn't understanding what was going on. <laughs> um, I, I, I did check out Jordan and Rich. Uh, so that was that was cool. Um, when it comes to when it comes to podcast plans, I'm telling everyone TBD. Uh, I'm trying to write. I'm trying to get into the beat and um, trying to, you know, get used to being at the athletics. So um, I'm really um, excited for all the possibilities that come with that. And um, I I was in a program called City Year um, my first two years out of college, both Philly and in Los Angeles. And one of the things we talked about was finding things right. If you're going to do something, you know, figure out what you want to do and get a good foundation to start it. So when I figured that out, y'all know. Well, awesome. look, if it, if it helps at all, just if, if anything ever feels overwhelming, just remind yourself, you're only following Yovan. It's not that hard. <laughs> like, I mean, it's it's just Yovan. Like, it's not that much pressure. All right, we will see everybody tomorrow. Donk you, Nidalan. <laughs>